take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Or how do you think that affects anyone's relationship to be wounded like that? How much like a cat is is Doug? Uh, he's probably a lot like a cat. But I'm just saying, like, do you think that if you are damaged, that that affects the choices you make in relationships? Oh, fuck, absolutely. <laughs> I could have <laughs> You know, I don't think there's a better example of that than Hal Ashby's 1971 classic Harold and Maude, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'm gonna go with you. Actually, I don't know if Harold and Maude is. Um, I don't know if if Harold is damaged. I, I really don't know if. I mean, what's what's too obvious to say is that Harold might be the sanest one. Except that the the one step that's more obvious is that Maude might be the sanest one. You know, it's like in a world right. of crazy people, we're, 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 we're kind of we're kind of the horns of that particular thing. And I would say this. Harold, I think Maude maybe a little bit more. So let's, we'll talk about that. But I think Harold's a little less than because he's he's just obviously got Oedipus complex like a motherfucker. Like somebody was like, I want to write a movie where Oedipus complex is quietly the main point. Well, how does that fit in into the Oedipus complex if if he does have a mother who he has a relationship with that's adversarial? Yeah, but but her, but but it's but it's a hate it's a hate relationship. He finally finds the mother figure who who he can love. And who loves and him? Back. Does he love her? <laughs> yeah, you know the, the first the biological mom. Whether or not she loves Harold at all is an open question. That's Her- kind of that's kind of one of the points of, of his behavior. Uh, Hal Ashby's nineteen seventy one classic Harold and Maude is is one that I, <laughs> I had not just dropping that in casual conversation is one that I had yeah. not seen. I think until I was almost forty. And really? it, it's it, yeah, it's too. my I think it's my wife's favorite movie. It's either her favorite or like second favorite movie or something like that. And she's actually used it in classes um, and paired it with like Emerson essays or something. But but Harold and Maude, it, it always sort of um, looked unappealing to me. Yeah, it did to me too. In the same way that Steppenwolf did, and and and, and the band, the was- band or the or the classic literature. Oh, you know what? I'm not even seeing it right. Easy Rider. Really oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, I agree with you. It has the same... With the band song. No, no, no. I, that's a great... That's a, I, 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 I tune in right on what you're saying about Easy Rider and Harold Maude. There's something about them that just seemed like they're trying too hard on the surface. Sorry. There's something... There, there's something... And I think it's, it's as much our generation and it's sort of come down since then. And this is kind of... I was A little bit of the irony poisoning I was talking about much earlier... Um, there's something that our generation loves to hate about 60s counterculture movies. And, most, and many yeah. of them deserve it. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't. And I think Harold and Maude falls clearly into that category. Well, because I, I think... I forget how much I love this fucking movie between times of watching this movie. And, because Easy Rider, it turns out, when I finally saw it, which is just a couple of years ago, Easy Rider is a good movie, but it's like, you look at it and you're like, oh my God, fringe jacket, mustache, Almond Brothers. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Hit me. Right? You want to yell at the screen. But, but, but what's... what's um, more attractive and always attracted me is the people who were benefiting from the counterculture of the sixties, but weren't themselves part of like the phoniness and then made art. And a good example of that is like midnight, uh, cowboy. Right. Yes. 
kids. Like you could not have Absolutely. made that movie without the, the revolution of the '60s, and yet no one in that movie, unless it's you know a couple of scenes that are trying to treat it ironically, is like, "Hey, man." And 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 by the way, neither is Harold Maude. It takes the Midnight Cowboy route, not not the, um, mm-hmm. not the what's the fucking the biker movie again. Uh, easy Rider. Not the Easy Rider. The Birds route. and the Beast, or whatever the fuck that horrible movie was. God, I can't say. Birds and the Beast. Oh, we'll have to watch that. That's one of the. Uh, that's one of those. Uh, that's uh, the, uh, yeah. That's, okay. You know, that's a Stanley Kramer movie. That's genuinely terrible. A Stanley Kramer movie? Yeah, yeah it's really fucking bad. It's the, it's maybe the worst hippie movie ever made. Okay. We'll have to cut. All right. But in the meantime, this is yeah. This is that one where like it it gets to kind of what kind of what the that that hippie generation thing kind of what they what they have right I think in a certain sense. And by the way, this movie. It's fucking hilarious. This movie has some the, some funny, funny scenes. Super funny, and it goes. It, <laughs> it, it's it can be very dark and funny, but it doesn't hide out there. It doesn't. No, it doesn't no. keep standing in one place of funny. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's it's uh, it, there's there's a I don't know, I don't think a spiritual dynam, dynam, dynamism. Bleh, I don't know, but dynamicity. You're like absolutely you right. It could it could sit back and be. It choose to be one thing, and it just does it. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's a movie that kind of like I don't know how to say it. It's just like it's funny, it's dark, and it, and it moves on from there, and there's other things as well, and it's and it's heartfelt. There's a heartfelt, thing. definitely heartfelt. And yet, Cat Stevens singing all the time. Well, he it is a lot. <laughs> Cat Stevens does a Cat sing Stevens. a lot of this movie, and I forgot how great he is until I watched this movie. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It was before he became a. The funniest movie is how much I love Cat Stevens. Yeah, and what a, what a good acting job Bud Cork does. He does a really fantastic job. I uh, do you know Bud? He plays Harold. Do you know Bud Cork from anything else? I yes, and I can't remember any of it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I yeah, but I but again, I do know him from other things. I just can't remember what any of those things are. No, he is great. He's understated. In some ways, well, he's not understated. See, that's the weird part about it. Like, and and, and I know I'm not even sure what the film's about because this is this episode is our May December episode, right? Yeah, and, yeah. But weirdly, this first film both qualifies and doesn't qualify because it doesn't follow the trope of the May December, even when you think it's going to, which is like right. like you think it's going to go to some sort of age. Does it matter? It's it's more kind of delightfully and smilingly cynical than that. And he yeah, absolutely. That. I mean, yeah, in order to, you know, age doesn't matter. And then they bring on a, a Catholic priest who's upset by the saggingness of her body. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he pushes it so hard it becomes comical. And then you get back, oh, yeah, okay, so that's that. So let's get back. And just when you think it's also going to be about like kind of class that Ruth Gordon comes in and sort of like, Class doesn't matter either, but she's not doing any of those things for that reason. It's nothing yeah. as obvious as that. So, so okay, we should start with, you know, what's the movie about? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Sorry, everybody. So Harold is a uh, is a young. Uh, this is all in the Bay Area. It's kind of really cool. Kind of cool to see like old Bay Area landmarks and things going on there. Yeah, it's all shot there. Um, he's a uh, the scion of a of a of like a super wealthy family. Uh, his yep. mom uh, kind of doesn't, you know, his mom is, a, is an absentee person in every sense of the word except the physical. Oh, no, I don't, I don't quite agree with that. I think that she's in some ways a helicopter mom. 
I mean, she wants. Yeah, she's a, she's not a force for good. Okay, <laughs> like throughout the movie, Harold uh, fakes his own suicide in many many delightful ways. Yeah, mostly mostly in a in a patently obvious effort to get attention on her, which she refuses to get. Which I, I I mean, in some ways, I understand too. He is a he is a remarkable pain in the ass in some ways. Oh yeah, you think? Yeah, He's very anti-social. And she's say. hysterical too. She, she, the poor girls is monkeys trying to set him up. Well, she tries to set him up in this like you know new world of computer dating in 1971 yeah. or whatever, and she's answering this this um, brochure, this form, and it's like yes or no, like to, a personality test. Like, do you think I'll just fill it out for you, Harold? Do yeah. you do you think <laughs> that sex has become too prominent? Well, I think we can agree that the answer is yes, isn't it, Harold? And, <laughs> and and so in some ways, yeah, like her her attempt to sort of bring these girls around who in every case um he he um destroys acts out some <laughs> sort of dramatic traumatizes the poor girl oh yes in every <laughs> fucking case um so there's that and, and so he has this you know again it almost it's a film that risks things because it almost goes sets my eyes to roland almost every time even the like um, I remember when I was in high school, by the way, for about six months, my biggest dream was to get a hearse and drive it around. I'd never, I'd never seen um, Harold and Maude at all. And so my biggest dream was to get a hearse and to, um, uh, to drive it around and, and paint flames on the side of the hearse and to listen to Iron Maiden. That was my dream. I'd never seen Harold and Maude. And, oh, yeah. and and so I I I wanted the eye roll, but then I thought, well, he's kind of like we all are, like weirdos who watch movies, you know, classic movies right. when we're eight years old, and 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 lock ourselves in our rooms. Um, and so I was I was okay with him doing that, and and like going to funerals, and then she appears, and it's like it it became like a good novel, like oh, the two characters who meet at the same place for different reasons, and let's let's right. let's unravel that relationship that they can have that he does not want to have, by the way. Yeah, no, no. At first, he's like, why is this person talking to me? Yeah, absolutely. But there's this thing, too, where, like, the kind of, like, uh, the, the power of, I think it's really the actors more than it is anything else that overcomes the fact you, you overlook certain things that are going on there. Like, there's no fucking way Harold is sufficiently a mechanic to take an MG and turn it into a big curse instead of two days. Oh, like, no. you, you can't chop a channel. That's a fucking team of Mexican gentlemen. It takes them a week to do that. Yeah, I figured he just did, had lots of money. That's, that was my explanation. But I know, I know what you're saying. The no, suspension of disbelief. He's trying to do it himself, right? Uh, and then, and then Mod. Ultimately, if you really think about it, Mod is pretty much a multiple felon by the end of this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's her, her, um, uh, her, her love of freedom doesn't uh, recognize the law, and so she's kind of breaking the law a lot in this movie. But you overlook it because she's because Ruth Gordon pulls it off. She's so charming doing this thing. And it seems, and, and there's no, it's like, she's what, like, she's kind of what hippies kind of should have always been in a sense, right? Kind of what we always thought they were, and they kind of weren't. Yeah. And we were looking for that fact. She's that genuine free, that, that genuinely free person who has extended it throughout her life all the way. Well, I think in some... 500,000 Ruth Gordon might have changed this country. That's kind that. of Ruth Gordon, too. Ruth Gordon was, um, before she did Rosemary's Baby, a couple <laughs> years before this, and then this movie... Um, the thing about Ruth Gordon is that she was a writer and she wrote movies like Adam's Rib and, and yeah, really? 
Yeah, no, she was mostly a writer. She, no she, idea about her biography. She kind of shares that 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 biography with like John Houseman. Like they were mostly something else for a long time until they became these weird character actors later on in life. And yeah. so, so she she actually lived a really interesting life uh, um, as a woman in the earlier part of the 20th century. And so she's kind of a natural choice, I, I would say, to 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 play uh, Maude. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> I was Marlena Dietrich shares something in common with Faye Dunaway and that apparently both of them sort of were winding their lives down. I mean, I know Faye Dunaway is still alive, but um, as like weirdos who save their urine in, in mason jars or something. Um, but I was reading a, a biography. For purposes or just for decorating? Oh, well, six of one. But I was, uh, I was reading a, a biography of, uh, Marlene Dietrich. Uh, Dietrich's kids were such fucking flaming assholes that I kind of forgive her for whatever she did. Side note, sorry. Okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a film about, and these two's finally connecting in, in, in multiple ways, one of which is romantically and sexually. Sort of. Yeah, and, and this, it's the dynamic of the way the relationship plays out. That's not that, that's not as, that's not that important. Uh, it isn't. It is significant, but it's not. It's it's, it's the, the fact that they that they fuck at one point is almost insignificant to the fact that they made a connection. They, they had a better. They just had a great connection to each other. And and yet, what I really appreciate the, about the film, and maybe it's my cynicism, is that it it intentionally fails to deliver an actual message. Yeah, you just sort yeah. of left with some parts that you like dealing with at the end. Right. Why not have a decent life? Why not, you know, that's real. That's the, if there's a message in this movie, it's that. Like go and go and have as good a life as you can make. That's that's what that movie. And, and I have here at present. You certainly have, and we're making it all right now. I'd say, but but um, <laughs> anyway, we should talk about this in the podcast. You ready to record? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, one of my favorite scenes is when he gives her a ring. And she throws it in the ocean and says, now I'll know where it is always. <laughs> She's kind of the original, um, uh, oh, I can't think of his name. Who's the fucking John? Um, yeah, fuck it. I can't think of it. Kerouac. Yeah, you're getting warmer. <laughs> I don't know. My favorite I have to be is when uh, when he uh, sets himself on fire to avoid uh, dating that girl. That's called self uh, emulation with an emulation. E or, with an E emulation E uh, I I emulation yeah emulation imaging coca I'm glad we figured that out that was really great yeah um, yeah so I just think it's, it's I think uh, it's from the Greek it's not it, it's funny that it, it also is not a light movie it's like a, it's an almost impossible movie to categorize although I, I, I will just say this about it it's a great it's a love story Ish. I mean, it's it's more of a love of an idea ultimately, right? And it's mm-hmm. like um, I, I would say this: it's a great caricature, uh, no character meter in this sense. I I think I just wouldn't like someone who doesn't like this movie. Yeah, and I, I can s- see that. Yeah, yeah, I would have a hard time. And I say that it's not even like my top twenty movies or anything, but it's just like how could you not enjoy this movie? It just seems ridiculous it, to me. It would strike me that somebody is spiritually damaged if they don't like this movie. 
at the, at the very at the, at the like the very best excuse I could make is that they're like they're bummed out by the by by the sexual by by them by the two of them having sex. I think that if, like that's I think the best objection one can have to the movie, and that's not a good objection. My wife <laughs> reports that that students when she shows this movie in class at students who like the movie, all of them are still sort of turned off by that. Oh, when that, that scene sort of comes about. So I, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, these things will keep you up at night. Am I right? These things will keep you up at night, Tommy. They'll keep, oh. they'll keep you up at night. Did you stay up late last night? What's that? Did you stay up late last night? Uh, no, not really. Oh, so this morning was a friend of yours. Well, it often plays my song. Mm. I don't know the next line, but <laughs> I do know this: that our next film, 1973's "Breezy," uh, directed by I think the first directorial effort by Clint, Mr. Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, starring William Holden, co-starring Amen. and William Holden's son as the veterinarian. Um, that <laughs> I was. Smaller role, I'm, I'm intrigued that you brought that up at all. Uh, but I, I do remember uh, being such a geek uh, when we lived in San Francisco. When my mom and I lived in San Francisco, we would go over to your dad's for a little while, a couple months every Tuesday, and it was escape from Grandma and Grandpa's house. And it was like, ah, we'll stay at Riches on Tuesday nights. We'll watch a movie, have a surprise, surprise, London broil and white rice, and um, I, you know, I'd get to pick out a movie, and it was a classic movie time. Um, but I also was very, very moved by two soundtracks. First of all, the soundtrack to Soldier of Fortune. Okay. And then Breezy. Morning is a friend of mine. Sing it, Tommy. It always plays my song. And Kaylin's was... was <laughs> Kaylin's is... I mean, there's a lot of uh, argument to this being a creepy movie because Kaylin's is 18. It's the same year, by the way, she had a bit part in... She's 18. She might be 17 or 17. She might be 17. I know, but we were still... I mean, we weren't that far off from singing songs like, She was just 17, if you know what I mean, etc. Oh, there's a guy in this movie who's a fucking serial rapist. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of time and place going on here that makes you go, yeah, feminism wasn't a bad idea. Oh, let's do let's do more of that shit. Yeah, it's it's definitely it, it doesn't travel well. But it I don't give us something to scream about and throw it out of the car. Wow. So, okay, so you just admitted to a felony. <laughs> yeah, well so uh, so my task, I think, the way I want to approach 1973's Breezy, starring William Holden, directed by Clint Eastwood, and also starring <laughs> Kay Lenz, is um, to acknowledge, A, I loved it as a kid. Yep. B, as an adult, I look back and I'm like, ugh. And then C, to defend it. I want to take the position of, of tr- seeing what I can defend in this movie. And I don't just mean ideas in the, in the Me Too era or something. I mean as a film. Right. I'm gonna go. Uh, let's. I think we could probably make a defense of it in you know the Me Too era concept as well. I'm gonna go. Um, yeah, I love this all out of proportion to when I was a kid. That <laughs> was something. You know what it was. Ridiculous. As much as anything else, um, William Holden's character in this movie reminded me of my dad. Like the, the yep. and my dad reminded me of that character, and my dad totally identified with him. So one of the first things, like I watched it. I, dozen times when I was a kid. Yeah. Okay, 12 watching this movie. That makes no sense at no. all. Yeah, yeah. But it's something I so heavily identified with my dad and the lifestyle that he was leading yeah. at the time. 
that it, it, it's impossible even for me to this day to divorce those two things. This is my this is my dad. This is your uncle Rich, my dad. Really gets kind of captured strong here. A man who got super injured uh, in relationships and just like tried to fuck his way through the rest of his life as casually as possible. And that's the character William Holden plays at the beginning of this movie. Also, I think because you were born in 1969, I was born in 1971. We grew up in a time where we saw a lot of men in their, let's say, 30s and 40s who wore like leather jackets, uh, mock turtlenecks, who were newly divorced because divorce was like an actual thing you could do because you because you felt like it, and who were living sort of like um, lives in new apartments with mini fridges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so there was something well, about his character, William Holden's character, well, because they no longer they didn't have a family they were supporting. Yeah, right. And so William Holden's character uh, on entry in this film kind of spoke to you and I. Yeah. It's also a film that is when we were really small. When we were small boys, this this is what this is what grown men fucking were like and did. Yeah, and historically, because it's 1973, we're pulling away from the hippie. We're we're getting our first sort of movies that are kind of reflecting on hippies, as if they're kind of like a dying breed, right? I'm going to go a little bit different on that one. I think my take on it is we're heading into the. I think what we're heading into is the movies that are about older guys who can no longer relate to what's happening in you. So Save the Tiger. Like, all of, we're heading into, like, a bunch of movies that are... Same year, by the way, Save the Tiger. And I think this is one of those movies, like a very early version one. Yeah, that's that's a good analysis, too. Although I like... Julia, fucking uh, Save the Tiger. Several movies like that. But Patulia like was... Man trying to deal with the youth culture. Yeah, but Patulia was happening, like, in the midst of it. I think there are films that are a little earlier that are kind of still in the midst of it. But I, I think you're right with... Um, with um, Save the Tiger, a good call, it being the same year as, as Breezy. I, I mean, a, a, a fucking much better film than Breezy, because it's still... Yeah, with like, like, let's be honest, Breezy is not fucking, this is, uh, this is not Simpson Kane by any stretch of the imagination. No, and, very, and... I would say it's a very sort of journeyman. It's a journeyman movie. It's, it's a middle of the... It's a, the middle of the month. And it also, it, it does speak to something that's kind of a, a cliche in life, which is to say, I mean, I, I kind of wish we'd done this in a different order. I, I wish that Harold Mott had come out later so I could say, with you, I could sort of I was say, say, oh, and now. Harold Mott is such a worthier movie. Yeah, and it's, it's taking a much different take on it and everything else. You know, we're already kind of in dangerous territory when you make a movie about a guy who's like, I don't know, late 40s or early 50s, however old William Holden's going to be. And he's awakened by the love of a beautiful young woman who, you know, makes him sort of like breathe uh, fresh life again, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it, it becomes kind of a cliche of, of um, uh, midlife crisis. I want to point out the other thing about this too, which is, is because it's such, it's like a, like I said, it's like a mid-level movie. It's like having watched Caddyshack 40 times or something like that. Like there's no good reason for why I've done it, except that I oh. kind of love it because yeah. I, I got introduced to it early. Yeah. And then I got introduced to it early and then, you know, uh, uh, watched it late enough in life because those were, I think those, I, K Lenz's boobs, I think were the first I ever saw. K Lenz. Yeah. Yeah. And they were magnificent. Yeah, she's got good boobies. The good yeah, she's she got a good, the, good boobies. Very beautiful young lady. Not that, not that that's her only attribute, but that's. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, good call, sir. I think one. I like. I can defend small amounts of humor in it for sure. The whole um, he finds a dog on the side of the highway, and someone yeah. pulls over and he goes, "Someone ran over this dog." Yeah, someone ran <laughs> over a dog. <laughs> <laughs> There's legitimately some good funny moments. Yeah, in there, there are. Most of them are done at, more or less at Holden's expense. The problem is that later on, when he has to be moved, right? So it's like he goes. He go well. There's several problems. One is that when he falls for her, finally, it's awful. Mm. And the other thing is that the distinction between him being her caretaker and her lover is never very clear. <laughs> it's kind of gross. Yeah, um, and and so. And again, I submit she might have been 17. Like it's, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting because he lives this sort of up middle upper class lifestyle. He's like a, a real estate agent or something, right? And, yeah, and, well, um, he's into real estate. He's got a beautiful house in the Hollywood Hills, and 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 um, his friends, of course, are um, you know his male friends are also successful, um, uh, also going through midlife crises. Wow. Um, uh, he's got a bitchy, bitchy ex-wife. I mean, it's it's really too convenient. But what's interesting is all the people around him who are his contemporaries look at the people like Breezy and her crowd. And I think one of the lines is like, looks like low tide out there. <laughs> yeah, right. And the thing is, he never really goes one way or another. Maybe that's one thing I do like about it is that he likes her, but he never rejects his friend's point of view about her group. Right, right. In fact, he kind of... It's actually kind of one of the strengths of the movie is that... Hmm, strengths of the movie. God, yeah. Fucking but, 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 like, okay, so his social circles actually, I think, are kind of remarkably consistent inside of their own world as to how they treat her and him as a result of the relationship. Right, because in some ways he wants to... He's ashamed of the relationship, appropriately. He's ashamed of the relationship, and they're all kind of, like... <laughs> Sort of, and depending on the gender, right? They're sort of, they're sort of, uh, sort of ashamed. They're sort of uh, um, jealous. You know, I mean, there's a, there's that whole range on their part. So yeah. it doesn't it doesn't lend him an easy sort of answer in that respect. Also, what what happened? Uh, what happened to William Holden in the seventies, where he continually put himself in situations where he had to do embarrassing lovemaking scenes with younger women? I don't know, but I wish I had looked like him when I was fucking 55 when he did this movie, too. He looked like shit. What are you talking about? Uh, dude, he had, like, defined shoulders. He's better than both of us in that sense. <laughs> no, I say go back and go back and rewatch it. I, I, just, I just did. I mean, the I mean, facially, facially. Yeah. yeah he looked like, like, like a punching bag because of his alcoholism. Yeah, for sure. But body-wise, like, his physique was, was not as bad. It wasn't that bad. You're yeah, such a weirdo. This is kind of one of the things I've loved about you forever. Seventies ripped. One that's that you could look at, not just look at a male body and go like, I admit that's kind of sexually uh, attractive. You could look at William Holden's 1955 body and defend it as sexually attractive. It makes you a, a lovable weirdo. Well, first off, he was 55. It wasn't 1955. The hillbilly. I didn't say 1955. I said he was 55. No, you didn't. You said the other. Anyways, that's beside the point. Now I'll send you pictures. If only, later this, on. if only this were recorded. We'll exchange pictures. Yeah. Monster. Anyways, um, so yeah, I, okay, but I, so I love this movie. So I like the like. But, but what's what's the outside of this movie? I think it's I, like I said, I think it's a decent middle of the road movie. It was a good. It was 
kind of good. Uh, it was one of, I think it was Clint Eastwood's like, second movie, maybe third movie or something like that. It was that. his first movie, I thought. It was his first movie, okay. I but, don't know. I, I mean, it was a pretty reasonable job as a director. Originally, he was supposed to play the William Holden character. You know who was supposed to play Dirty Harry originally? Uh, Robert Preston. A uh, Mr. Paul Newman. Really? And Paul, I know that. Paul Newman called him up and, and said, you should take this. Paul Newman kind of gave him that job. Okay. Good old Paul like Newman. That. You know whose favorite movie is shockingly this movie? You know uh, who told me that this is her favorite movie? Who? What? Breezy? Yeah. Is this going to be an inside reference no one else will get because it's a relative of ours? Yeah. Oh, good. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica. Jessica who? Yeah, your, your, your wife's daughter. Jessica. She said this is her favorite movie? When did she, she like this is like her favorite movie. When did she say that? Uh, it was on Facebook like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, well, I'll just leave that uncommented on except to say that that's just, like, not shocking at all. Okay. I mean, all right. well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that is the least shocking thing you've ever told me, actually. <laughs> all right, so I mean, I, I give a tepid thumbs up to Breezy. I, I guess just out of like loyalty or something like that. I, I, I on pure. I love like, the movie. It's not defensible. Artistic grounds. I can I can recommend the the soundtrack <laughs> more. I would say the cinematography is really good. It's like, it's like it, the it one is. thing I did like, I, I kind of still liked about this movie was I felt like I was in the seventies watching it. That's important to some people. And it's not just you and I, I mean, it definitely has a, that sort of quality to it. Um, and then uh, Harold and Maude, we can agree from two years earlier is just, uh, I wouldn't quite not say my a masterpiece, movie, but, but it, it's, it's a, it's a, a very, uh, it, it has rewatchability. And for watchable, I'm going to say this: It's one of those movies that I think is, in a sense, uh, more than more than I enjoyed it. It's so much as I felt it was kind of, I think, important. I hate using that word in movies, but no. I think there's an important. I I hate. I don't hate you, but I I I dislike. Yeah. <laughs> I dislike how you hate that. Like that that always blows my mind. Why would you that? Because you, you don't say I hate it when when movies are self-important or overdue or anything. But there's nothing intrinsically wrong about any piece of literature or art being important or even trying to be. Yeah, this goes against my blue collar, my my blue my you know my blue collar approach to life, Jim. Yeah, blue collar. That's you all over. Yeah, it's me, Jamie. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Great. Well, it's been good talking to you, Mr. Fele. That's right, Mr. Finley. In quarantine. Now, we're making this happen. We we let the virus stop us for a while. But we found yeah. a way to make the audio even shittier and continue <laughs> bantering. <laughs> yeah, well, boredom hadn't overcome our sense of uh, decorum and taste, I think, is what it said. <laughs> Before. All right. And it I, has now, so good. I'm going to go um, barbecue a mm -hmm. tri-tip. Is, is it a tri-tip or is it your new dog? That new dog may, may prove useful um, <laughs> in the fall during the apocalypse. Yeah. All right, Tommy. Good to talk to you as always. Let's keep let's keep watching movies. Let's come up with a new catchphrase. Remember a couple of years ago we had the whole uh, Bam Zowie. <laughs> Bam Zowie. I swear to God, let's do Bam Zowie from now on. All right, let's do it. All right, Bam Zowie. <laughs>